Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. strains open a somehow ominous and yet still sweet edition of Vimically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. It is with interesting expectation that I look forward to reviewing the movie Silent Running. And on that note, we welcome the film guys. It's George Willeman, film uh, nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. George Willeman, welcome. And hello, Nikki. This is... uh, Quite a treat. J. Todd Anderson, the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers and uh, currently in L.A. working for The Sexiest Man Alive. J. Todd, welcome by phone. Hello, Nikki Dakota. Silent Running, the movie of this day. There is one important bit of business that we have to start out with because as you listen to our review of this movie today... Yes, there is a spoiler alert. Uh, There's absolutely no way we can review this movie without giving away the ending. So if you haven't seen Silent Running and you don't want to know what the ending is, uh, just turn away now. Turn away now and listen to it after you've seen the movie. (laughs) Watch the movie and then come on back. Um, Let's take a moment to review what it is we do here on Filmically Perfect. It is the brainchild, all these films, the uh, notion of J. Todd Anderson's and George Willimans that they are perfect. And this does not come willy nilly. There are etched in stone criteria that are involved here. And, gentlemen, share with us what those are. Well, we have rules, of course, and that's what makes them perfect movies. And uh, <clears throat> first of all, the number one rule that we abide by is that they create the world they exist in. And second, they totally maintain that world. And regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment values. And last but certainly not least, they are not in any way, shape, or form put in any numerical order. One film is not better or worse than another. They are each held to their own account. They're all on their own proper scale. Perfection. It's interesting, on this day, as uh, we're just uh, hanging at 49 degrees, what's the temperature out there in L.A., Jay Todd? Oh, it's kind of cool out here today. It's uh, it's around 45, 46 degrees. Okay. They took a cold spell, of course, you know, for this. We were counting on really hot weather everywhere, so we could rub it in. (laughs) All this talk of of global warming. That's right. It is unseasonably warm for Ohio this time of year. I mean, you know, January, and it's almost 50 degrees. Well, you know, early in the week, it was very, very warm in New York City. And, um, you know, a lot of times when they're making movies, uh, nuclear holocaust is always a good premise to start with if you want to scare people (laughs) to death. And, um, you know, anything that has to do with, the earth being wiped out very violently and with lots of drama. But in this movie, um, they are uh, they are taking their forest and they're trying to grow them in outer space so they have them because uh, the earth is changing. Uh, and they were well ahead of their time in 1972. This is during when the uh, uh, ecology movement was starting right around that time. And uh, it's very, very serene, this movie. Uh, and and it's also very near the beginning of the uh, the famous uh, the energy crisis of the early 70s. 
So poignant then. So let's think about uh, how absolutely on rule number three sustains Mm -hmm. it. uh, Yeah, Yeah, they just were were very much ahead of their time with this picture. And it wasn't, uh, like I said, with shock and awe of all the disaster movies we have now. Uh, this is a little different. This is very, very. They've thrown them into space, and uh, and and you know, Bruce Stern uh, exhibits all the uh, all the same qualities that everybody else is on a warm day in January. <laughs> and actually, if we, before we go any further, uh, let's play that one uh, little clip from the film, the the proclamation that is given as to why the big ships have been put into outer space. So there you go. The you know typical uh, great um, intentions, good intentions by good intentions, by our right. by our government to to save the what's left of our forests. But uh, of course, then then the corporations step in and decide that these humongous ships and there's uh, like at least three of them and possibly as many as six uh, would be much better served uh, hauling freight. So they get a call from, from the main station that they are to jettison the, uh, these enormous uh, forest pods into outer space and nuke them. And, of course, everyone else is fine with that because they get to go home. But Bruce Dern, who has spent eight years of his life taking care of this one special forest of his, uh, just cannot, cannot let that happen. And as they are jettisoned, he comes up with the idea of, of saving his special forest. Uh, and he but he takes it all the way to the mat, boy, and he goes to the mat on this one. He's going to save that forest no matter what. And uh, Everybody else is just, just becomes the ancillary, in-the-way kind of people when he does this. And it's probably somebody, I think it's Bruce Dern, some of his finest acting he has ever, ever oh, done. Oh, man, I totally disagree. I think that this is some of the slowest, most... Um, overly maudlin and bizarrely introspective acting I have seen in a long time. I forgot how much... Well, what would you, you know, what would you do, Radio Girl, if you were out there in outer space with nobody to talk <laughs> to? Years. I would learn to act, I think, in my spare time <laughs> instead of spending all that time in the forest. And, and also, if you had Joe and Baez singing oh, in, the, in the little speakers there Honestly. all the time, wouldn't you, wouldn't you behave like Bruce Dern? That's acting, man. That's acting. <laughs> <laughs> I, try, I try to roll with some Joe Baez, but I'll tell you what. He's got airliner food. You know, he, has to, you know he, co- he makes his own food until the forest breaks down and won't produce any worse. And then he's right. got to eat, you know, he's got to eat processed. his version of airline food, which is has a sponsorship in this movie, American Airlines, in 1972, yeah. which yeah. is very, very bizarre. <laughs> now, I, I think I think some of the, that, and it's noticed all the way through, to give it somewhat of a, a bit of a verisimilitude of having all these brand names in the background, all these big corporate brand names. Uh, some of that, I think, comes from the fact that, of course, the director, Douglas Trumbull, was the, the special effects supervisor on Stanley Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey, which is also notable for having a lot of brand names throughout it to give it a certain air of verisimilitude. The, the irony in this case is that 
because they decide to jettison the pods and and return the ships to freight status, it kind of makes American Airlines look kind of like the bad guys. In I'll this. say, and then how utterly ironic that another sort of doomsday scenario played out with American Airlines on 9-11, you mm-hmm. know? So, I mean, who could have predicted yeah, that? Yeah, I wonder if they show... Um so much running on airplanes. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Highly doubtful. Oh, I would say. oh. So, well, you know, if you if you, the tone of this picture and the tone of um, uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey are very very similar, you could probably intercut them together and get away with it because they're they're very similar lighting wise. And uh, of course, Douglas Trumbull he worked on both of them. Um, but that's this is personification of the era. Um, and when everybody else was doing, uh, you know, all these other space movies, at least this movie had its eye on the future in ways that nobody else did. I don't think anybody really thought about global warming in any way, shape, or form back then. Or what really. was the actual reason? And forgive me, because I actually had a, the the uh, proclamation that we listened to just now was even so low mm-hmm. on the movie itself. What was the actual reason for jettisoning the, and preserving all the forest's outer space instead that of the the Earth had become so polluted that polluted. it would no longer support uh, the, the the forest or that any of the different biologies. And this is before the rainforest was being totally wiped out. You know, back then, if you would have said, oh, it's impossible, that they could never take out all these rainforests, you know? And, and, and that was the science fiction premise on that, that it, could, it was so out there that it, it just could not happen. This is 1972, and you always have to kind of judge the history by the people they're experiencing, not by a revisionist kind of tone. But they were well ahead of their, their game in this movie because uh, uh, these, these people, Michael Cimino, one of the writers who did Heaven's Gate, these were all people on their way up and, and doing very important movies, uh, you know, uh, movies that were going to be critically uh, important in a sense that they were always going to be discussed. Right, George? That's right, yeah. And uh, th- this one has, has kind of held its own uh, over the years and actually is sort of – I think there's a, a cult following growing behind it. You know, when you suggested it, I remembered it. I have not seen mm-hmm. it since I was a very small child, yeah. and I remembered it, and I'll tell you why. It's those robots. But, hey, first of all, let's, let's do it. Oh, I oh, And I, I loved them. I mean, I remembered exactly as soon as you said, yeah, it's that space movie. And I'm like, what? No. Yeah. You're like, what's the little robots that live with them in the forest? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Listen, rule number one creates the world. Certainly it does. Uh, sustains it without question, right. except for some very bad acting. Um, Which I have, to, har- I, have <laughs> to, I have to hardly disagree with you on that. And I'll, Thank tell, you. I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay, Go ahead. Go but ahead. listen, um, and, and certainly and sustains I'm disagree its with meaning. You because George is disagreeing with Let's you. have a little <laughs> example of this fine Shakespearean, thespian, forest, outer space dude, Bruce Dern. Let's, let's have it. On Earth, everywhere you go, the temperature is 75 degrees. Everything is the same. All the people are exactly the same. Now, what kind of life is that? Well, if it's so rotten, why do you want to go back? Because it's not too late to change it. (laughs) What do you want, Lowell? I mean, there's hardly any more disease. There's no more poverty. Nobody's out of a job. That's right. Every time we have the argument, you say the same thing to me. You give me the same three answers all the time. The same thing. Well, everybody has a job. That's always the last one. But you know what else there is no more of, my friend? There is no more beauty. And there's no more imagination. And there are no frontiers left to conquer. And you know why? Only one reason why. One reason why the same attitude that you three guys are giving me right here in this room today. And that is, nobody cares. Look on the wall behind you. Look at that little girl's face. I know you've seen it. 
Do you know what she's never going to be able to see? She's never going to be able to see the simple wonder of a leaf in her hand. Because there's not going to be any trees. What do you think about that? The fact is, Lola, if people were interested, something had been done a long time ago. <laughs> hey, I'm grabbing my tissues right now. <laughs> well, I, think, I, I mean, I, I can tell totally... <laughs> I'm telling you, that's some great no, acting. I, you know, because usually Bruce, Bruce Stern's killing somebody with a gun. You know, that's usually what he's doing at that time. Or drawing like, tattoos all over Maude Adams' body, but that's another movie. <laughs> but no, I, I understand I understand why why you, you don't like like the acting of it. Um, but but for I me, love the movie and the story. Right. Well, listen but, to what he's saying. No more, hey, he's relevant. No imagination, you know. There's no more frontiers. And there's no imagination out there. They don't. And what what are they doing? They're taking, they're making everything and turning into it. You know, everything is being parody. See, the, the irony is that one of my favorite things about this movie, and I totally forgot because I hadn't watched it in a long time either, are the are so are the several like soliloquies that Bruce Dern gives because, and I think this somewhat comes out of Douglas this being Douglas Trumbull's first movie, and even he has said that he basically taught himself directing by directing this movie, and and there are times where he just locks the camera on Bruce Dern and just lets Bruce Dern go and lets him you know roll off these these soliloquies so yeah and, and it 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 is kind of a, a a grinder kind of a meat grinder kind of approach but but to me it actually works very well because here's a man uh you know who, who loves his job and he loves taking care of this forest and this very obvious from the beginning of the movie and and suddenly after eight years of taking care of this and believing you know in his heart that they're going to bring the forest back and that he will be in charge of the new forest department and blah blah, blah to find out <laughs> that he has to jettison his forest into outer space and nuke it as if jettisoning it wasn't bad enough, um, you know. Yeah, I think he's gonna be a little bent out of shape. But I've I've heard people, you know, put forth in this in this kind of manner. So in, it could be that not only is is it is it acting, but it's a little too close to what people really sound like to be to sound like acting. If that makes any sense whatsoever. It's notable that in this, I mean, there are so few actual characters. I mean, it's yeah. just Bruce Dern and then well, the three robots, which three I want to talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. and then just the three. Um, Right, the three Ship crew members, mates, yeah. That he, of course... That well, they get jettisoned, too. I'll say. <laughs> they get jettisoned early in the picture, That's too, right. man. Then it becomes one of those solo runs, you know, and you wonder how many of those robots are going to get ticked off before there's nothing left on the ship for us to, you know, oh. so, you know, we're going to have to, like, listen to Joanne Baez for the rest <laughs> of the mission. I'll know? tell you how that movie worked for me. Now, as much mm-hmm. as I did not like Bruce Dern's acting, right. I found well, a lot myself... Of people don't like Bruce Dern, you know, but... You know, Bruce Stern is is your classic American character, um, and he for he always you. provides a need in the cinema. You know, and it's always for people like you, Nikki, that don't like him. That's why he's there. <laughs> well, you know who I found actually to be good actors, despite the fact that they're completely silent and virtually the robots. I thought I felt for those robots. Yes. Just like so, when the robot gets blown off, the first one he yeah, didn't he hurry just, fast enough, and his leg his got leg caught. Is caught. Yeah, and the other one, you know, when they go find it. When the two other little robots go see his leg and know that he's you been cried out. when he hit that robot with a car, didn't you? I did. Well, <laughs> okay, I didn't actually cry, but I was emotionally invested. Oh, and they're working on him in there, you know, and they're doing surgery on this. Well, and, and, you and, know, and, they and, have outtakes from this movie where those robots are playing jokes on each other, running around. Okay, you know? what I want to know. Listen, mm-hmm. not even a little person could be inside there with their legs so far apart. Is it a yes. man walking on their hands? Yes, it that is. That has to actually, be. I knew it. They hired four. Uh, actors who are double amputees to play the robots. 
Now, see, there were no bonus features on my DVD. I did not no, know no, that. No, no. I, I figured it had to be people walking on their hands. Yep. Well, they really did an amazing job. I have yeah, to say. Yeah, they really cool the way they, they just, they're little, the character kind of comes out of those little robots. Right. Even though well, and it's also, the they thing, have like one headlight on them. The thing know? that hit me yesterday watching this again was that at the beginning, of course, the robots are, they're, they're called drones, so they're, they're very much, they work around the ship and there's not much to them. But as, as Lowell works with them, and he starts reprogramming them, he begins to sort of imbi- imbue them with, with human emotions. That's why, like, when they see the leg caught in the, in the railing and, you can, and he says, oh, you're upset about this, you can see they're beginning to sort of get the emotions that he has, which makes that work out, you know, because normally robots probably would not be that emotional, I don't think. We're talking about silent running on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. It's an opportunity for us to talk about some of the finest movies ever made. And uh, J. Todd Anderson on the line in L.A., George Williman right here in the studio. We call him the Film Guys. And by the way, please stop by the website just in a general uh, thing to do online. There's an amazing amount of uh, the backstories of uh, the different editions of Filmically Perfect there. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Have you seen this movie? Would you like to? Do you have some thoughts? Uh, email is filmguys at perfectmovie.net. That's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Or stop by the WYSO site at wyso.org. You know, I'll, I will give. And normally Nikki likes our movies. But I do. Today... The last two, I haven't. Well, no, 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 but, let me know, amend that again. I do it, like be, the movie. You'll be very old one of these days, and this movie will still be relevant. You know, that's what we think, don't we, George? Oh, that, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. As time marches on, and the march of time takes no prisoners, yeah. um, people will be uh, basking in the sunshine in January, and this movie will come to mind, yeah. you know? If it were not for Bruce Dern's acting in this, I would find this perfect in every way. So you All do, right, what actor of that period would you have rather had in there instead of Bruce Dern? True enough, but that... Who, that, who, who would you have rather had in there instead of Bruce Dern? I don't know, would but you? I thought that guy that bit it, that Bruce Dern murdered first, um, uh, was at least more accessible. Yeah, but who I mean, the guy it? that took one for the home team? <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> so now, quickly, I don't think we've actually taken an opportunity to sort of paint the full of it. We know that the, the forests were, you know, jettisoned into space where they were maintained at expense of the planet to our great shame. And then uh, they decided not to do it anymore and called them in home. But then a series of things occurred that, uh, well. Oh, well, yeah. Well, well, Lowell, the, the character that's played by Bruce Dern, uh, decides sort of at the last moment to save his forest. And uh, the first thing he ends up doing is killing one of the crew members uh, in, in his forest. Because they're ready to blow him up yeah. and go home. And the other two, who are in the, the second to the last dome planning the explosives, he jettisons them out into space where the, the, uh, yeah, the uh, dome does explode. So it leaves him alone. And then he later has the, uh, the robots bury the one crewman that he murders. Um, and so he decides, he decides to try and make a run for it. And and takes the ship straight. This is in outer space. He's got to make a run for it with you know white ears and stuff. Yeah, like but that. they're 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 parked. The ship is parked near the planet Jupiter, and he ends up having to take the ship through the rings of Jupiter, where the company doesn't think it'll Saturn, survive. Actually, Saturn, actually, I'm good. sorry, I was That's thinking right. of 2001. Gotcha, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. But there's similarities here, particularly with the you know the, the hey, door closing. And... Hey, at least he wasn't parked near Uranus. But anyways, um... up. <laughs> <laughs> So they, they make it through the rings of Saturn, which they're not supposed to be able to do. And he decides, he figures that they have they have made it. They've outrun the company, 
and he takes off and he figures he teaches the robots how to take care of things and but he begins having this moral quandary he keeps thinking back about killing the crew members and and the other things he's done and and as he's and he begins to discover that the forest is dying regardless of what he does to it it's dying uh, and he finds out the reason is that they are moving fast, quickly away from the sun. There's not enough sunlight to keep the force alive. So he sets up a. He strings up like a thousand hundred watt light bulbs. Yeah. On this on this thing, right, George? Yeah, big lights on big <laughs> C stands to keep the forest alive. Which we might note right here is some music while he was doing that. And which a notable composer, uh, Shikali. What's his first name? Yeah, Peter Shikali uh, is the composer of the music for this film. And it's very unusual because he has not done many score. I don't know if he's done another score except for this one. But he's best known for his creation of uh, the character PDQ Bach. Who was a remarkable uh, musicianship and, right. and, and, and reintroduced a whole generation of people to classic uh, music. Yeah, and like uh, I said, his, he, he's written a lot of serious music, uh, much of which is pretty much unplayable by the ordinary musician. It's extremely complicated. So to these strains, he figures it out and he gets the light bulbs and he puts them, and that's what right. it was. They, he was on the dark side of Saturn uh, yeah. and no sunlight killing the forest. So he figures it out and he thinks that deliverance is at hand. Right. But then he gets a call from the company. They have, they've found the ship and they're on their way to rescue him. And it's at this point he realizes that, that everything he has done is going to come to naught and that he more, his, his moral compass is spinning and they don't. Ha- they have no idea, nor do they ever have any idea of the murder that he committed to save. Right. Yeah. And so he ends up at the end of the film making the big decision of taking the one, the one good robot because, as as JT mentioned earlier, he hits one of the other robots with his cart and severely damages it. So uh, so Lowell and the the damaged robot remain on the ship, the Valley Forge, and and he basically primes all of the remaining nuclear charges. Uh, jettisons the forest with the one, with the good one robot. little robot and, and te- tells him to take care of it. And then when it's out of the way, he blows up the Valley Forge. It's a sequel that never came. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Listen, it's a sequel that never happened. Is that really true? I mean, they wrote, they had it written, and it never happened. Are you just? I think every life? Hollywood movie has a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. So, I'm sure there was an executive Universal going uh, sequel. Um, so by this time in the Let's movie, the, the other three guys are long gone. It's been right. Bruce Dern as the only actual human actor on the screen. It's been him and these robots. And again, I found myself getting emotionally invested in these robots. I couldn't believe how cruel I thought it was that Bruce denied that other robot the company of the injured robot, even if he was injured. But And why do I think a robot needs company? I don't know, but this movie spoke to me in that Depends way. Depends on the kind of guys you go out with, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I realized after watching this is that the haven't you ever watched Twilight Zone marathons? <laughs> the the whole ending of this film gets so complicated with its morals uh, that I I've been trying to actually work them out, and there's so many different ways. It's like you know Lowell kills himself knowing that if if he is captured, basically that he'll have to explain what happened, and 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 of course they'll lock him up, and it'll be really terrible for him. But also, it could be that he realizes that his dream of saving the forest is lost, so there's absolutely no reason left to live. But we can be left to think that it survived, right? We can think that the forest may survive, but you know that eventually the water and the battery power and the little robot itself are going to conk out. So eventually the forest is probably going to die unless somebody goes and rescues it. When you look at who wrote this, you know, Michael Cimino, some of the films that... He wrote Magnum Force, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, The Deer Hunter, yeah, The, the Rose, Deer Hunter, yeah. Heaven's Gate, The Dogs of War, You're the Dragon. That's not so surprising, that ending, you know? 
No, because yeah, a lot of those, a lot of the of his films end up in in these sort of moral quandaries that can go several different ways, which in a way makes it, and again makes it a really great film because yeah, that's great. It's, not it's not so predictable, packed. you know. Yeah, that's one of the reasons it's in the perfection category because that's what sustains it and will keep it going for a long time. Is that he didn't? Uh, uh, this film isn't caved into like a formula. <laughs> Nikki, can you tell me? Do you think this is a formula picture? <laughs> Definitely not. Listen, <laughs> I grant you. Each of the rules, except I will give you a weak uh, agreement on rule number two, which is uh, uh, sustaining that world with that acting. But nonetheless, well, despite I, I it, have to make I have to make a concise and astute observation. Then you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I find that's a really a really good you know a good one when people are giving you a hard time. Just you are you're wrong. Just plain wrong. Just plain wrong. Well, that's the beauty of it. This is film. When I was a little kid, Bruce Stern was one of my favorite actors because he was always Why? that kind of. Because he killed everybody, and he was just absolutely a great villain. And uh, this, you know, and and now here he is. He's he's being tortured for all those sins on other movies in this movie here, and he's very young. And uh, you know, he's just he's just been around for a long time. I don't. Well, th- this is actually one of the few times I've seen him where he does get to play a semi-heroic character, although he's, yeah. he's horribly bent, and a lot of it is because of you know he's been out in outer space for eight years with nobody but plants to talk to. Yeah. That's right, like and Joanne Baez Robots. in the background. Joanne Baez in the background. Yeah. I tell you what, I, you know, I'm, and I do try to roll with her, but I just thought that her music particularly was just completely, uh, just broke the moment in every case. I just found it intrusive and awful. But uh, there you go. You're Other saying than that those there was things, moments for you. That's what you're saying, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. We've been reviewing Silent Running. It is on the list of perfect movies that, uh, by the way, each as they come up, you don't find the whole list there. You find them as we go along. You can check the website at perfectmovie.net or please drop us a line. Think about that. You know, how many guys bring to you a list of movies that goes from the Three Stooges to Silent Running in like seven days? (laughs) And next week we're giving you something you can really sink your teeth into. What is next? Oh, that's right. Deliverance. Yeah, you're deep. We should have done this one in October. Oh uh, man, this out. is the thing. Yeah, I this is uh, it's an, Englishman, an Englishman's quest. view of America is what it is. <laughs> oh, is that right? Is that really John true? Borman? Yes, John Borman yeah. is a British director. But this is also in the movie that we got coming up. It's they fill up. Uh, you know, they, they're they're flooding a, uh, an amazing river with water so they they can you know make it recreational. So right. and it falls That's into. More of our ecology kind of stand here in January. <laughs> Celebrating global warming on Filmically right. Perfect. <laughs> I we think for, just... for Deliverance, we could say we're also celebrating, like, family planning. <laughs> or the lack thereof, oh. maybe. <laughs> Branching out, if and you will. And some of the finest catchphrases in movie history. Is I'll movie. say, <laughs> even musical catchphrases. So do tune in next week for that. That'll be uh, next Bring Friday, a banjo. 2015. <laughs> <laughs> and a gun. Yeah, and you know what? I think that that movie, I guess we'll talk about it then, uh, forever ruined the career of the, the fellow that was uh, made to squeal like a pig. But we'll talk about that next week thank you for listening to an archival episode of filmically perfect please keep an ear out for new episodes of filmically perfect coming very soon to itunes and hosted on our website www.perfectmovie.net see you please